Greetings, my name is Jim Mason. I'm the president of the Parental Rights Foundation. And uh, I'm very delighted today to introduce my guest, uh, Dr. Jerry Milner, who uh, recently was the Associate Commissioner in the Children's Bureau at the Department of Health and Human Services. And he has a long and distinguished career in, uh, in and out of government, uh, state government and federal government as well. Um, this is an ongoing series of trying to understand this uh, great, uh, uh, greater program of child welfare from uh, both practitioners' uh, perspectives, and now we will get a uh, uh, the perspective of someone who's worked in this from the government side as well. Greetings, Jerry. How are you today? Ah, uh, thanks. Uh, it's a pleasure to be here with you today. So tell us, how did you get to become uh, Dr. Jerry Milner of the Health and Human Services uh, Department? Well, uh, it's probably a pretty good question. Uh, unlike a, a lot of my uh, colleagues, my peers, uh, I, I didn't grow up thinking uh, I want to be a social worker one day and uh, work trying to uh, keep uh, children and, and families together. That very much evolved uh, over time, um, sort of landed uh, in the field of social work <clears throat> a little bit accidentally, uh, but uh, immediately uh, developed um, a, a relationship with the field, a, a strong connection with what, um, uh, what uh, child welfare was really all about, uh, what social work uh, was, was really all about. I, I think in many ways, all of us are products of our own environment. And, and if I'm very honest with you, I could see a lot of my own life um, in the lives of the children and, and families that I was working with. Uh, I certainly did not um, have child welfare involvement uh, in, in my growing up, but um, I came to realize that uh, just because of my circumstances, uh, very, very modest uh, upbringing. And uh, uh, after my father died when I was very young, um, a, a single mom who had uh, very little choice but to work at night. Uh, and um, from a very young age, I was uh, fending for myself, staying, staying at home at, at night. And uh, it was a, a bit of an awakening as an adult to realize that just one call, one call to the uh, child welfare agency could have uh, made my life go in a very, very different direction. But as it was, you know, I had a community around me. I had family all around me. They knew I was alone, but they always looked out for me. And uh, I don't know that that. Uh, that awareness, uh, I'll just say, um, caused me to empathize with so many of the, of the parents that um, were in my caseloads that I, I was struggling, they were struggling uh, to make ends meet and to take care of their children um, at, at the same time. Um, from there, things just sort of evolved. I uh, hadn't planned to stay in the field. Uh, a few years later, decided that was my field and I went back to school to get formal education in, in social work. And uh, one thing built upon the other, um, you know, uh, again, without a master plan um, until I became associate commissioner at the Children's Bureau, which uh, for me was um, a position like no other in terms of being able to shape the national discussion 
the national discourse on uh, how we can best support families, parents, young people, children out there. So before we get to it, I'm, I'm sure a lot of people are curious uh, what exactly is a Children's Bureau and why does the <laughs> Department of Health and Human Services have such a thing and why does it need an associate commissioner? Mm -hmm. uh, and, and, and maybe you could kind of go through a little bit of your earlier career. Um, my, my listeners may, may uh, forgive me if I, if I say I detect a little bit of the stuff in your voice. Uh, you, you had a, a long uh, career in Alabama as well, right? I did. I actually worked in the Alabama uh, child welfare system for 25 years. I started out as a uh, uh, caseload carrying social worker um, and uh, went through the ranks, uh, became a county uh, child welfare supervisor over foster care, adoption, child protection. Um, um, I, I think those early uh, years had the most impact on me because I started out with what was called a prevention caseload, uh, <clears throat> which I interpreted at, at, at that moment uh, to mean I, I wasn't really good enough uh, to get into the, uh, the more difficult uh, kinds of uh, situations. But um, working for about three years uh, with, with families who um, could easily have found themselves in much more intense child welfare um, in, in involvement and in, in, in helping them to, to try to avoid that made a lasting lasting impact uh, on, on me uh, over time. My values, my thinking about how we can best support families um, and, uh, and, and children. Eventually, uh, I, uh, I became uh, the um, state child welfare director uh, in, in Alabama. I uh, was there until I um, uh, formally retired from that system and immediately went to the Children's Bureau. Uh, not as a political appointee, not as the associate commissioner, but as a, um, a career employee um, tasked with designing a system uh, by which the federal government looks at, reviews, um, uh, monitors state child welfare programs. Uh, I then became a, um, uh, a consultant of sorts in, in the private sector, working with states all across the country, uh, looking to uh, make big changes in their child welfare systems. Um, and then quite unexpectedly, uh, I got the call uh, and was offered the opportunity to come back to the to the Children's Bureau uh, as as the Associate Commissioner, which is uh, in effect the director of, of, of the Children's Bureau. Um, it, it's a position that I think is um, incredibly unique in its ability uh, to change uh, the focus, uh, to set the priorities, um, to influence policy. Uh, and, and, and to try to have a tremendous impact on the way that, that parents, young people and children actually experience the child welfare system. It was so fulfilling to me, primarily because um, I, I've never been much of a bureaucrat, uh, not very good at managing 
things and not a great administrator. I don't enjoy those things. What I do enjoy and love uh, is being out in the field, uh, understanding, meeting with, talking with people who experience the system firsthand. Uh, and so I spent my tenure there until COVID uh, clipped my wings a little bit. And then I, I kept doing it virtually. Um, but I spent uh, my time there literally out in, in the field, trying to understand, trying to learn, um, hearing those voices uh, that, that really continue to make uh, an enormous impact on me, my thinking, my values, uh, the direction that I choose to go career-wise. Well, with that broad uh, and deep experience, maybe you could just give a, a thumbnail sketch of how it all works together in America. You know, there's the relationship uh, you know, you're, you're the director of a state agency as well as high official in the federal government uh, on the same subject. How does it all work together? You know, how's it intended to work together? And then we'll move into some of the problems that you've seen and some of the potential solutions that you might favor. Sure, sure. Well, at the federal level, the Children's Bureau really is tasked with administering the major funding streams uh, for uh, the, the child welfare programs, the largest of which by far uh, is federal foster care, uh, followed by uh, adoption assistance uh, and services, uh, along with federal funding for child protection, family support, family preservation, young people aging out of the foster care uh, system, uh, training, information systems, all of those connected, all those things connected with, um, with, uh, with child welfare. And, and the federal government um, has the task of interpreting the federal laws that govern those programs, issuing the regulations, providing the oversight, um, and uh, requiring states uh, when necessary, and it almost always it is, uh, to make corrective actions um, uh, in, in the way that they are serving children and families uh, out there. Uh, every state has its own child welfare program, uh, obviously out there. Uh, some are decentralized and they're run more by counties. Uh, the majority of states uh, are uh, centralized systems where they're run from some state child welfare uh, agency. Um, states have a great deal of latitude uh, in setting their own policies. Uh, <clears throat> the uh, federal policies don't cover everything for sure. Um, and in fact, uh, I, the, the majority of funding for child welfare programs comes from state and local governments as opposed to uh, from, the, from the federal government. So th there's a lot of <clears throat> variance uh, in terms of how children and families experience child welfare dependent upon what state. There's some constants uh, out there, of course, uh, but uh, uh, states have that, have that flexibility. And then within states, of course, there's the, usually the county child welfare systems uh, out there. Uh, they may be more regional or area-based uh, in some states uh, than, uh, than in others, but um, that's where the confluence of, of, of programs and policies and uh, <clears throat> all the interfaces with other systems has to come together. Uh, 
for families and kids to um, to get uh, what what they need. So there's a lot of layers uh, to the to the system out there. There's an incredible uh, number of players uh, out there involved. Um, uh, many of those players uh, from the federal level all the way down are highly compartmentalized uh, with their own sets of rules, regulations, procedures. Um, we've worked uh, very hard over the last almost four years to try to bring many of those stakeholders together uh, so that we can unite ourselves uh, with, with a common vision of, of, of how uh, we'd like to see families experience the work that we all do collectively and, and, and try to pave the way to make that happen in, in, in different ways. Uh, we're not there. Uh, you know, that, that's a long-term investment in effort and uh, opportunity. Um, but uh, I have seen over, over the past few years uh, some measurable progress, I would say, in that area. Well, during your tenure in Alabama as the director of the agency there, um, you gained some renown as a, uh, as a state that took um, a, a direction that's sort of different from what other states may be taking. Can you talk about that a bit? Yeah, I, I, I will. Um, <clears throat> the experience I had in Alabama was, was brought on by a class action lawsuit, um, which... Um, I've always said was was well deserved. Um, the, the state would not have, on its own, made the kinds of changes uh, in, in in child welfare without uh, the the court requiring that that to happen. It also would not have done it if had we not been able to work in very close collaboration with um, attorneys for the plaintiffs who were children experiencing the foster care system, who really wanted to see. Um, genuine reform of the child welfare system. Uh, there's a lot of class action lawsuits out there today that are driving change, uh, I, I think, in, in, in positive ways. Uh, but as often as not, a lot of the agreements that I see are more deliverable based. If you do X, Y, and Z, you move on to the, to the next phase. And, and that may or may not change the way families really um, feel their involvement in the child welfare system or, or their broader experience. And in Alabama, we had, a, we had an opportunity to go uh, <clears throat> and, and, and totally reshape the child welfare system from the ground up. Uh, and, and a major part of that was uh, retraining everybody in the organization uh, to understand child welfare from the perspective of those people who were receiving our services, the parents, again, the young people, the children, um, to really play on the need for empathy and, and for understanding what their circumstances were, what the challenges were that they uh, were, were dealing with. That, that might sound like a fairly um, logical or, or, or simple uh, approach to take, but I can tell you it was, it was major. Uh, it, it was huge uh, because our system, like other child welfare systems out there, had been on a particular course for so many years, we didn't know any other way uh, to relate uh, to people and relate to communities. Could you just, could you just describe uh, what, how, how would you characterize that approach that you had been on? Um, and then the, you know, the court case uh, intervened 
and and what what was the new course? And I mean, I, I, I gather that you approved of and, and drove this new course, but what mm -hmm. was that old course and what was the course correction and why was the course correction approved? I think that the old course was largely, mostly based in removing children uh, from their parents as, as our primary intervention. Uh, and that's not unlike other child welfare systems out there. Our foster care system was overcrowded. Kids were staying there too long. Parents were not getting the services that they needed. Uh, they were not fully engaged. Uh, and many of those parents gave up hope um, and uh, ultimately lost uh, their children uh, for, for good. That's the very traditional way of operating child welfare uh, in, in our country. And that's also the reason it needed to change. Uh, we did not need uh, to be separating kids from their parents as, as our, our first course of action out there. We did not need parents um, not having access uh, to critical services that could help improve their own protective abilities, capacities to care for their uh, children. And that brought about uh, this, uh, uh, this lawsuit. The, the, the new direction uh, was really quite different uh, from that. It was, it was a, a change in the direction of helping families stay together, um, uh, giving, uh, identifying what families really needed, not, not asking them to choose from a menu of services that we just happen to have available, uh, but really trying to understand what, what's at the root of, of your need here? And what is it gonna take uh, in order uh, to, to, to make sure that you have the ability to, to care for your children, you have the ability to thrive. Uh, and uh, even if you don't have all the wealth that you need, uh, you still have the ability uh, to, to care for your children with, with the supports um, that, that are out there. That was transformative. Uh, it was transformative. Um, from, uh, I think, a values perspective, uh, because not everybody uh, attaches value uh, to, or positive value to, to parents whose children uh, find themselves involved in the child welfare system. And I think the change there uh, was one that, that went to how we view parents, how we view the value of the parent-child relationship, um, and how we express that value and that sense of worth to them as we interact with them in the child welfare system. On a systemic level, what were the major kinds of changes besides training your, your, your staff people to kind of view things differently? What, what, what sort of practical things did you do? One of the major things that, that we did that I've been trying to do at the federal level for almost four years is, is that we provided flexibility in the funding uh, for how, um, how the county child welfare systems out there uh, used uh, their, uh, use their child welfare funds to support, um, uh, to support families um, and, and to help prevent the need uh, for, for, for foster care. Um, again, we've been trying to do that at, at the federal level um, where most of our funding is incredibly categorical. Uh, as I've mentioned, most of the money goes by law to foster care, to adoption. And so that's what we get, we get foster care and adoption. That was also true at the state level as well. We passed through the federal money, but state also funded these categorical services out there. Also, we funded these, these huge contracts for one type of service, mental health counseling or parenting classes, which may not be what a family needs 
you know, so often what a family needs to stay together is, is food on the table. They need housing. Uh, they need to keep their utilities on. They need transportation, childcare. So I, I think one of the main things we were able to do that made the most impact is to provide that flexibility of funding so that communities, counties out there who know their families better than somebody in Washington, D.C. knows them, better than somebody sitting in a state capitol knows them, <clears throat> could design the kind of, of response systems and, and, and flexibility and, and responses and services that their families, their children, their young people um, need. We changed policies. Uh, to, to require that uh, any decisions uh, about uh, parents were made in consultation with them. Uh, and that was a dramatic departure from a social worker like me uh, during my time sitting off at a desk, writing up a case plan, saying, here's what I think the family needs to do. Uh, uh, that changed uh, so that uh, we, we systematically began systematically engaging uh, parents and, and, and children and young people themselves in making those decisions, identifying, first of all, what are, what are my strengths? What do I come to the table with? Um, you know, it, it's no secret that child welfare has also always been a deficit uh, uh, oriented uh, kind of system. Uh, we look at what's wrong with the family uh, first uh, without looking at, at what's 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 the strength here or you know how does the family see themselves. Uh, we tried to change that whole that whole um, um, paradigm uh, in terms of, of working uh, with families. It, it made a huge, huge uh, impact. Uh, made an impact on our child welfare workforce uh, when they began to understand how effective sharing that power uh, with, with parents could actually be and how much progress could be made when parents have a voice, and they have an input uh, in identifying their needs and selecting the services uh, that can be most helpful to them. That sounds like a, a, a major shift towards what I would consider to be true social work, as opposed to a kind of enforcement-based system. Am sure. I missing something or is that right? <clears throat> no, I think you're exactly right. Um, but uh, like a lot of other systems over time, um, we drift into um, compliance uh, mindsets. We drift into regulatory uh, mindsets. Over time, uh, our own laws uh, have become so prescriptive uh, and so directive about what we can spend this nickel on and this dime on. Um, it, it, it's hard sometimes to filter through all of that uh, and get down to the real root issues uh, that, uh, that can best support children and, and families out there. And I think what we were able to do in Alabama was a major step uh, in, in, in that direction. It certainly was something that um, caused uh, a lot of people around the country to sit up and take notice uh, and, and to try to emulate in their own systems. How, how do you, um, you know, with your recent experience in the federal government, how, how receptive were other state agencies to, I mean, it's a, to me, I, I'm a practitioner and I represent parents um, mostly at that first encounter and into the first few 
um, mm -hmm. of, a, of an investigation and so forth. How, I mean, I don't get the sense that a lot of agencies out there are ready or willing to make that kind of model change. How, how are you received at the federal level with, with those kind of proposals? Well, if, if you're talking about how the, how the states themselves uh, are, are, are receiving that message, uh, in, in all honesty, Jim, I, I saw uh, quite a bit of receptivity out there. Um, I think one of the key things to realize is it, it has to happen at a lot of different levels. Uh, it isn't just about who's the child welfare director in an agency and is this somebody who wants to take a different course. Uh, it's about all of the different players that, 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 that come under that, that broad umbrella. It's about the courts. Uh, you know, an, an agency can say, yeah, we want to embark on a different uh, uh, track here. Um, and a judge can undo that in you know, just the blink of an eye or the swoop of a pen. Um, so th the true change has to occur at, at, a, at a lot of different uh, levels there. Again, for families to experience the system in, in positive and in, in different ways. And that's my measure of success. How does the parent, how does the child, how does the young person experience this, uh, this system? Um, I, I, we, we have worked at least for the past year uh, in, in the Children's Bureau to bring together some major players uh, around the country who, who have a big influence um, uh, on, on what happens in child welfare out there. Uh, the foundations, uh, you know, Prevent Child Abuse uh, America, some other, other places uh, out there to try and unite under uh, a common vision. Uh, and we articulated that vision as creating the conditions for healthy uh, and thriving families and communities where children are free from harm. Um, we have worked closely with the philanthropic community because we have no funding for that, understand. That's, you know, we can pay for foster care, but we still can't pay for that very upstream uh, support of, of families in, in a major way. Uh, but we put out a, a, a request for jurisdictions uh, around the country to say, I want to be a part of this. I want to be a part of changing uh, my system according to that vision. And we got tremendous response uh, out there. We, we had, um, we required, you know, that they come in together as, as a stakeholder group uh, of, of people. We required uh, that they uh, be very articulate about how they're going to involve the voices of those with lived expertise uh, out there in the planning and the implementation of that. Uh, I, I was heartened by the response that we got. Um, the fact is we are a very, very long way from realizing that. But I, I honestly do believe that, that, that the field wants to do better. Um, that's not uniform. Nothing is ever uniform. Nothing's ever 100%. Uh, per, percent. But there are leaders out there. There are voices in the field uh, that, that want, um, want to see a very different 
perspective. And there are those out there who've been fighting for this uh, for a very long time. And we're, we were trying very hard to bring them to, uh, to the table. The children's trust funds out there that uh, sometimes are kind of over to the side of child welfare, but they provide such supports for families long before anybody makes a call to the child welfare hotline. Uh, the prevention partners uh, that, that are out there, they have such expertise, such knowledge, such experience to share uh, out there in the redesign of these systems that are often very, very punitive uh, for, uh, for our family. So, um, you know, I, I saw that response. Now, also, I'll add this, uh, at the federal level, across federal agencies whose work and policies and funding also affects the very same families uh, as child welfare does, um, there is a growing interest there as well and how we can come together, unite under a common uh, vision. Uh, folks from other federal agencies uh, who have been uh, operating prevention programs themselves uh, for a number of years uh, were eager to get to the table uh, with us. Uh, one of the biggest hurdles uh, still at, at the federal level uh, is achieving the flexibility in funding that will allow us to bring these things uh, to life. There's a strong attachment uh, uh, to traditional funding that funds traditional child welfare interventions uh, like uh, foster care and like ad adoption. Um, and I want foster care to be there when it's absolutely necessary. Uh, and for kids who cannot return home, I, I want them to be adopted. I spent many years as an adoption social worker myself and a ad state adoption uh, manager. We have to do that, but not at the proportions that we do it now and not at the expense uh, of the prevention and family support work uh, that's so essential to avoid the need for foster care and adoption in the first place. That sounds like some major structural uh, changes need to take place for the funding uh, mechanisms to switch from, you know, we, we tend to get more of what we subsidize and when we subsidize foster care, we're gonna get more of it. Mm -hmm. How, how do you how do you figure that's going to happen to change those um, you know systemic uh, incentives? Well, I think we need to start incentivizing uh, reunification. Uh, I think we ought to start incentivizing keeping families together. Um, I, I think there are some major hur hurdles. Uh, for three years, we were able to get a proposal uh, 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 in the federal budget proposal um, to allow flexibility in the Title IV-E foster care uh, program so that it could be used uh, for, um, for prevention services, for family support services. Uh, that never uh, really gained any traction at all in Congress. Again, it is, um, it, it starts to mess around with the, the entitlement to foster care. Uh, and my worry is that uh, when, we, when we hold on to an entitlement to foster care, we, that doesn't entitle a parent to anything. It require, it, it's an entitlement to, to a foster care payment out there. Um, 
And I, I, I think we have to I think we have to continue um, to relentlessly pursue, whether it's flexibility in the existing funding structure or simply additional funding uh, that's targeted toward preventing the need uh, for foster care. The Family First Prevention Services Act, uh, which uh, came came into law in, in 2018, um, I think gives us a step in that direction. It's not nearly a big enough step. Um, it is uh, an effort to fill one small gap. Well, I, I don't wanna say one small, but a gap uh, in the prevention continuum. When a child is determined to be at imminent risk of entering the foster care system, we can now use part of that 4E um, uh, entitlement program uh, to pay for prevention services uh, for those for those families to try to prevent the trauma of, of, of removal. And that's great. And I'm very supportive of that. And I hope it gets implemented in a, in a, in a very effective way. The problem with it is that it comes at a late point uh, in, in the whole uh, cycle of, of, of child development and family development and family trauma, because something has had to, has to have already happened for a child to be at imminent risk of entering the foster care system. And we shouldn't make families wait uh, until that uh, becomes um, their circumstance before we offer them um, the, the, the services that, that they really need. The other thing that, that it does is that, uh, and I'm also quite supportive of paying for evidence-based services. You know, we want to pay for what we know uh, works uh, out there. But when we are only willing to pay for clinical uh, research-based services for mental health, uh, for building parent skills, um, for substance abuse treatment, um, there comes a level where that sounds an awful lot pathologizing uh, families who may simply just be poor and overwhelmed by their circumstances and have lost the ability to cope and they may not need those kinds of clinical services. But six months ago, they could have used some peer support. They could have used uh, some help to keep from being evicted uh, from their from their homes or to hold on uh, to services that were that were essential uh, to, to them. We've got to look at, at at how we get funding and how we attach value uh, to that before a family circumstances become so incredibly dire. Let me just describe an analog for my own life uh, and see if, see if I'm missing the boat or if I'm close. So before I went to law school, I was a parole and probation officer. And I was in a state, this is going back 30 years or more, um, that had traditionally had a state, a centralized state parole and probation department that was uh, notorious for a philosophy of uh, trail them, nail them, and jail them. You mentioned, you know, focusing on the deficits first. It was very, uh, you know, supervisory and looking for problems instead of solutions. And when I, when I was hired, um, the state had just adopted a community corrections model and it allowed counties to take their state funding and adopt a community corrections-based uh, mm -hmm. approach. And where our goal, our stated goal was to keep especially youthful offenders in the community as opposed to sending them to prison. Right. 
And the way we were able to do that was through a lot of flexibility. We could, we could impose very small interim sanctions and we had a checkbook that we could provide services that were designed to keep a, especially young male offenders from ever going to prison in the first place and then getting them back as seasoned criminals. Um, does that have any kind of analogous application to your philosophy and what you're talking about? I, I absolutely. You know, part of the vision, as, as I mentioned earlier, is, is to create those conditions for healthy and thriving families and communities. Uh, <clears throat> you know, the children, the families that are most at risk of experiencing the worst that our child welfare system has to offer, which is family separation. It's the worst thing that we can do uh, out there. Um, are black families and Native American families. Uh, black uh, children are almost two times as likely as uh, uh, white children are to enter foster care. Native children, uh, indigenous children are almost three times uh, is likely. Yet we continue to try and apply a one-size-fits-all service framework uh, to those families. Um, we have not invested in, nor have we relied on the communities that they come from, which I believe, not in every situation, but in many situations, uh, can relate uh, to families within the context of their unique needs, within the context of their cultural background so that families have those connections in the communities where they come from and have that kind of a support system that will sustain them and offer them help when adversity strikes. And it will always strike all of us at some point. Uh, but by building that capacity within communities, I, I think we have an opportunity uh, to do a lot of things. One is, is keep a whole hell of a lot of kids out of the foster care system. Keep a lot of families uh, together. Uh, and to begin seriously uh, to take on this chronic um, uh, racial injustice that exists uh, in our child welfare system uh, and, and replace things like over surveillance uh, with support mechanisms uh, that are out there that, that families can get without uh, the stigma of going in and, and, and asking for help and without the fear that if I ask for help, uh, my kids will get removed from me if I, if I show my vulnerabilities. I think if we talk about any of those inequities in our system, any of those uh, disparities, we have to have a discussion of the community uh, and the role that the community can and should, and I think in more situations than not, would love to play in supporting their families out there before formal child welfare involvement uh, is even really an option. Why is it that, I mean, I, I, I firmly believe this. I'm a parent and, um, you know, I love my kids and I would go to any length to prevent them from being taken into foster care. Mm -hmm. If I did something that, that created a problem, um, I would want my life to be scrutinized in a charitable way, in a helping way to keep my family together. Um, 
but but these underserved communities that you just talked about, and I, I, I just don't I don't feel like most people in America today probably have an accurate understanding of how the system really works mm-hmm. until they get the knock at the door. Yeah. And, and, and so how do, how do you propose to get the, um, you know, I mean, America is a, is, a, is a compassionate country. America wants parents to uh, be able to care for their kids and keep families together, I think. I mean, I believe fundamentally that's, that's what most people want. But yet we built this kind of system that is a bit subterranean. Nobody really knows exactly what goes on in it until they're really affected by it. How do we how do we change the outlook of the country that, that says hear what you're saying um, today? Yeah, I, I I think that's the trick. Uh, I, I think you 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 just in your question you've hit on probably the major major turning point there. If we're going to see the kind of transformation uh, that that mm-hmm. we'd like to see at, at a ten thousand foot level, Jim, I'm going to agree with you that I think most of America would say, yeah, we want families to stay together. We want parents to be able to support and care for their children in healthy and and, in safe ways until it comes to those parents. Yeah. And I think that's where there is a departure. And I think that's where sometimes our very good intentions um, get in the way of us being able to see entire families uh, and and the worth and the value that they provide uh, to their children. We have had, uh, as long as child welfare has been in existence uh, in our country, the, the philosophy has been based on a rescue the child from those bad parents. Um, going back to the very inception of child welfare, it was taking those kids out of what we perceive to be uh, harmful in, environments and, uh, and giving them to somebody else, most likely, most often, you know, middle-class white people uh, out there uh, to care for and, and raise their children. We have to, we have to understand that Um, 63% of the children in our foster care system right now are not there because parents have physically harmed them. They're not there because parents have sexually abused them. They're there because of what we call neglect. And I would venture to say that in almost all of those uh, 63 percentage points. If you look far enough back, poverty in some way plays a role uh, in leading a family to the child welfare system for neglect. Uh, and we have to change that, number one. We have to uh, come together to address the root causes uh, <clears throat> of of, of why families find themselves in the child welfare system to begin with. And poverty is the biggest root cause uh, out there until we really get serious about taking that on. Uh, we're gonna continue to have uh, people calling the hotline uh, for this or that related to poverty, children getting removed uh, and families still not getting the services uh, that they need. You know, the thing that, that constantly uh, changes, strengthens, reinforces my perspective, my personal perspective uh, of, of families out there is, is having the opportunity to sit down with them, uh, uh, talk to them, hear 
their stories, which are most often stories that are fraught with tears, with frustration, uh, with intimidation uh, or embarrassment over, over what's happened to them, to their children, to their, to, to their lives. And, and when you have that chance to sit down and get to know people and, and understand what their struggles really have been, I, I think that has to in some way touch us and help us to have more compassion, uh, more empathy uh, for families and consequently more willingness uh, to reach out and, and support, whether it's in an informal way or, or advocacy for the kinds of systemic changes uh, that need uh, to happen. So, so messaging is, is, is crucial to that. Another thing that's absolutely essential, um, and, and I believed it when I came to my job almost four years ago, but I believe it even stronger now is that anytime we talk about changing the system, uh, those voices have to be at the table. Uh, this cannot be a, a change that, you know, those of us who think we're the experts in the field uh, sit off in isolation and, and make uh, without the input uh, uh, without understanding how our decisions affect the lives of so many other people out there. It also can't be a token uh, engagement where we give somebody something to review and comment on or create an advisory board that we pull together ceremoniously once a quarter to say, what do you think about this? It has to be active uh, engagement. And when we uh, open ourselves to learn from those experiences and and, and understand and when we see the value ourselves uh, in, in having their voices at, at the table, um, I think that creates a whole new dimension of how we approach our work. Uh, and somehow collectively, we have to set that expectation out there uh, so that we take advantage of what, what families have experienced uh, and what's needed to change that experience for other families. One of the more tragic things that I, I, I cite often, in, uh, and you know, I think sadly it's true, that the system that we built in America causes more harm to more children than it maybe helps. And, and, and the way that works is, it begins with a surveillance state approach to um, you know, beginning, you, you get the hotline call, you don't really get a helping social worker that shows up at your door, you get you get an investigator who wants to get in and wants to talk, who wants to search, who wants to seize, who will get the police involved and, and right on through to too quick to put into foster care, too hard to get back from foster care, kind of an overworked judicial system that doesn't spend the kind of time getting to really understand what's going on in an individual case. Um, is, is that a, from your perspective, is that an, uh, an accurate portrayal because all of those kids that are put into foster care that never should have been, who could have been helped through services are yeah. harmed in ways, even, even just the investigations that don't end up removing children, they're done in such a way that it, 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 it greatly uh, affects the parent-child relationship and the child's feeling of safety in his own home and sure. you know, sort of traumatic intervention as opposed to a helping intervention. Yeah. Is it overstating or, or fair statement? That is the situation in a great many uh, sets of circumstances out there. I, I want to be careful to say, I think 
I mean, I'm a social worker myself. You yeah. know, I, I did what I was taught to do. I did what I was trained to do. I did what the system expected me to do. Some of it worked for the good of people and some of it did not. Uh, and that's true today as well. We do have a child welfare workforce out there that, and I know, you know, hundreds and maybe thousands of those people as well. We have judges out there that I could, I could name who are doing everything in their power to support families before uh, something more drastic uh, has to happen. I think we have a workforce that wants to do better by children and families, that wants to do what you called a little bit earlier, the real social work. But our system isn't set up to support that uh, in a meaningful way. Our system is set up um, uh, to wait until a hotline call comes in, number one, uh, to make sure the harm is uh, substantial enough before we will offer services and, and supports there. Uh, it's set up uh, to remove children and parents. It's set up uh, to set up a standard visiting schedule out there, regardless of the circumstances, rather than trying to use foster care itself to preserve the integrity of that parent-child relationship, even if they can't be under the same roof for, for some temporary uh, period of time. And it's set up um, to, um, to, to lead to the outcomes that not many of us are very satisfied with uh, out there. I don't fault individual social... They're, you know, always situations where things go wrong. I don't fault individual social workers uh, for operating within that system. I do fault the system. Uh, I fault uh, the policy, the structure. I fault the funding. Uh, I fault the direction uh, that we have allowed ourselves to go in uh, all, all these years. I, I believe that if, if we change that direction, uh, having experienced it uh, in Alabama firsthand myself, I believe the workforce wants to be a part of that. Uh, and I think that they will follow. And uh, but, but it's incumbent on us uh, to have a vision uh, that isn't a vision of getting better at what we already do, which involves separating kids from their families. It's doing a different kind of thing out there, uh, a completely different system. And I think there's a hunger for that uh, with, within the workforce out there. Just as I've gone from state to state, 40 something states before COVID clipped my wings, um, and, and sat down with, with parents and young people in almost every one of those states. I sat down with social workers and service providers and court personnel in almost all of those states. And I, I think that there is a hunger there for that. Jerry, you bring a, a, a very uh, winsome and uh, optimistic and positive uh, vision uh, along with you. And how, how are you going to get there? I mean, how, how are we going to get there? I mean, I I, um, you know, I was a parole and probation officer. I worked with uh, CPS people and we called it back then. Um, and I've, you know, been inside people's homes uh, and I, today I represent people who are on the wrong side of this. Uh, <laughs> how do we get there? I don't think there's a singular approach. I don't think there's a one linear approach. I think there's a lot of different things that, that have to happen. I, I mentioned earlier that um, just, just within the past few months, we launched um, uh, this national uh, effort, which uh, in the Children's Bureau and with our partners, we called 
thriving families, safer children, uh, a national commitment to well-being. Um, we, we put so much effort uh, in, into that because we think it's important to get beyond the rhetoric, uh, get beyond just here's my vision of where I wanna go uh, and, and, and begin to demonstrate uh, to, the, to the field out there, to policymakers, to funders out there, we really can have a different kind of, of, of child welfare system. It's gotta get off paper. Uh, it, it's gotta get on the ground in communities uh, <clears throat> and it has to be done in partnership uh, with, with other partners out there. I, I don't believe uh, that even though I want child welfare, um, uh, to be a major player in it. I don't believe child welfare can be the face of it uh, because I don't think a lot of families are going to go wandering into the child protection agency and say, you know, I, 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 you know I'm having all these problems here and, and I really need, uh, need some help. There are a few places around the country where people will do that. Uh, and I've, I've seen it, but that's not the norm <clears throat> at all. So we, we've got to, we've got to have, um, a jointly shared vision across child and family serving systems uh, in, in the public sector, in the private sector, uh, all the different groups that, that have the power to come together uh, and, and, and reshape this thing that we, that we call child welfare. That's one of the major things uh, that, uh, that, that we have to do is, is, is launch that vision. Uh, again, I, I think we have to create the expectation uh, and I worked as hard as I could uh, to do this, uh, not deliberately trying to be repetitive here, but, but to make sure that the voices of those people who know the system firsthand uh, are a part of that. Anytime I was, you know, in, in meetings with legislators, members of Congress, whoever, if there was a person there with lived exp expertise in the system, they wanted to hear from them um, a whole heck of a lot more than they wanted to hear from me, uh, which is a good sign. We have to elevate and amplify those voices. We have to give them the opportunity uh, as part of our transformation formation efforts out there to say, here's what's happening in this system and here's what ought to happen and here's how this can happen in a very different way. So that's uh, yet another, a second way that we have to approach this. The third way, and this is repetitive, but our funding has to match our direction of change. As long as you said it, as long as we just pay for foster care and adoption, that's what we're gonna get. Uh, if we begin to invest in families, if we begin to invest and, and, and some of the root causes of why families ever get in touch with us, we're gonna get more results along those lines uh, right there. But I think that there is that value gap out there right now. Uh, Well-intended though it may be uh, to come to the rescue of kids, um, we, we, we've got to make uh, known the value of parent-child relationships and what happens when we disrupt those relationships, even if it's necessary, even if a, a child absolutely cannot remain uh, in, in their home for, for some period uh, of time. That separation uh, creates trauma for that child and, and it creates something in their normal healthy brain development there. Uh, and, and we've got to get serious about understanding that and, and, and take every opportunity that we can to avoid that happening. Well, this has been really good, Jerry. I really appreciate your, your coming. We're, we're right at an hour. What, what's in store for you in the coming months? 
Well, we'll see. <laughs> I've, I've been in child welfare for uh, too long for um, for this to be the end of the end of the road uh, for me. Uh, I'm, I'm I'm looking at, at ways that that I can continue to be um, uh, a loud, obnoxious, audacious voice uh, going forward uh, on behalf of children. Uh, young adults and, uh, and, and parents uh, out there. And, and those opportunities will absolutely be there. And uh, I, I look forward to whatever, whatever shape they take. Well, anything that I should have asked you that you, I didn't ask you that you're just dying to either, you know, reach through the Zoom uh, Brady Bunch <laughs> squares and slap me silly or uh, wish that I'd ask that you, you, you need to, Get off your chest before we say goodbye. Yeah, I think you've uh, you've given me every opportunity to uh, empty my chest here, and okay. uh, I appreciate it so much. Thank you. It's very good. Well, uh, once again, my guest has been uh, Dr. Jerry Milner, uh, long and distinguished career in the child welfare uh, world at every level, private and uh, state, federal. And uh, I do thank you so much for the vision that you cast and the spirit that uh, animates that vision. Um, once again, I'm Jim Mason, the president of the Parental Rights Foundation, and you can read more about us at parentalrightsfoundation.org. And if you'd like to support our work, you can make a donation there as well. 